the Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth, from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. <clears throat> Those are the first five verses, or six verses, sorry, of Psalm 50, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, October the 28th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're looking now today, we've turned from, we've been looking at Ezra uh, for the last several days, and now we're going to move to Nehemiah. And the first chapter, the first 11 verses of that chapter, uh, and then also we're still in Revelation. This Today it's Revelation 5, 11 through chapter 6, verse 11, and in the Gospel according to Matthew in the 13th chapter, verses 18 to 23. So, this begins with the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, then that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. So, Susa is the citadel. It's the uh, one of the important cities in the Persian Empire. At that time, it was the place, actually, where Esther was the queen under Ahasuerus. So, it's it's an important place. And it's where the king resided. And I asked them concerning, asked his brothers, <clears throat> concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And they were, in other words, it's just a ruin and a waste like Jericho was at the time of Joshua. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. As I've said before, that one of the amazing things to me was is that, that even though there were, there were somewhere around 800,000 people killed in 90 days in the genocide that took place in Rwanda in 1994, that the population didn't drop because so many had been exiled since the early 60s. So many people had been in exile, and they knew as soon as the genocide ended that what they wanted was to go back home, even though they'd been gone in some cases for 30 years. And so some of these people had never been there before at all, but it was still their home. And they wanted to go back and they wanted to rebuild Rwanda. And it, it was an amazing thing to see so many people who had fled in fear now come back to to dedicate their lives to rebuilding that country economically and uh, religiously. It's truly one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen in my life. And so I understand a little bit about how Nehemiah must have felt just vicariously from having watched that happen in Rwanda. And so as soon uh, as he finished this, he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, 
confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you, and I've not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And that's the beginning of the move back. It's what God always said, that if my people who are called by my name will turn to me and repent of their wicked ways, then I'll heal them. And so Nehemiah is doing exactly what's required here. He is confessing sin before the Lord in order that the Lord might forgive him. It's based in his confidence in the mercy of God and the promises of God. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your <coughs> outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven from there, I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. And all the prophets spoke of this very thing, this ingathering that would occur if, if, if the people would turn to him. And so there's always a promise through the prophets that God makes that says, if you'll just do this thing, if you'll just turn around, if you'll forsake the gods that you're serving, and if you'll give yourself wholeheartedly to me, then, then you, I will bless you, and you'll have everything that you want. He says, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And this man is the king. He says, now I was cupbearer to the king. And it sounds like a minor position, but it's not. It's a significant royal duty, and it has to be somebody who is deeply trusted, completely trusted by the king. Because what he would have been, would have, he would have been the one who, who not only brings the cup, but he's also the one who is he's sort of the taste tester. And so the, the king has to completely trust this person, and that person has to oversee the royal household as well. They can't just be handed the cup. They have to oversee the royal household. <clears throat> so it's an important royal position, and he would have been an important man to the king for that reason. And so that's that's the position Nehemiah holds at this moment. And what he wants, though, and what he cares about more than anything else, in spite of the, his loyalty to the king, and the proof of the loyalty to the king is the job that he has, but the what he wants more than anything is for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. His Remember what's been charged by these other governors in the province beyond the river um, has been that you can't trust these people. Their allegiances are not true. They don't have allegiance to you, the king. They have allegiance only to their God and only to their place. They're treacherous people. And the proof was of was the treachery that happened at the time when uh, Nebuchadnezzar appointed a governor over him and he was murdered. And so Nehemiah, though, is a guy who has proven his trustworthiness, proven his loyalty, and proven his faithfulness to the king. And for that reason, he can be a trusted man. And so he, he's proven himself to be somebody other than what the Jews had been accused of by these others who were in the land. In the gospel, Jesus is, is explaining now, remember the disciples had come to him after he gave the parable of the sower and the seeds. Um, they... 
they, the disciples, asked, why do you speak to the crowds in parables only? And Jesus told them, because it, it's given to you to understand that they, their hearts are hardened, and therefore they can't hear or see correctly. And so now he gives the uh, interpretation of the parable. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. There was a guy that that um, was in the church at Pauly's Island when I was there, and, and I didn't know this story until well after that. I was here in Asheville by this point. He, they came and visited the church, and he told the church. And we used to have a time when you could speak, you know, if you'd seen God do something, you could, we could speak during the sort of announcement kind of time. And and this guy said something about I had uh, healing powers. I'm thinking, what in the world is he talking about? So we went to lunch with him that day and he told me what had happened. And and that is, I just prayed for this guy in the hospital before he was due to have a procedure the next day. I didn't know him, never met him before. We had a nice conversation and I prayed that he would be healed and that there would be no reason for the surgery. Well, I didn't have any idea. That's exactly how it turned out. But he had said that at lunch this day that he said, John, I really wouldn't have called myself a Christian at that point in time. I was just a guy who came to church so my wife didn't fuss at me. He said, I usually I'd fall asleep during the service. I didn't care. None of this stuff made any difference to me. And so he was one of those guys who was there during that period of time. He heard the word of the kingdom but didn't understand it, and so he never received it until God healed him. <laughs> and so it, it, that was the, the, the factor that prepared the ground of his heart. And as it turns out, he was actually going to have a heart ablation the next day. And, and so it was a heart thing. But God healed him completely, and he didn't even have to have the procedure. And, and they told him that if the procedure didn't work, he was going to die. So it's a remarkable thing that God healed him. I had no earthly idea that that's what had happened. But anyway, that became the, the, the catalyst for this guy to finally hear because he saw. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation is or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is somebody who can't defend their faith. And because they can't defend their faith, they don't know what they need to know to be able to defend their faith, to be strong in their faith. And so the problem becomes that when persecution or any kind of... Um, offense comes, then they don't know how to deal with that. And, and you know, it's so many of our young people, uh, including this one, <laughs> when he was a young person, didn't know how to defend my faith. It wasn't strong in my faith because I wasn't deeply enough in the Word. And so when challenges came to that faith, when I was in college, I, I, I lost it. I didn't lose my faith in the sense that I stopped believing. I, I just lost confidence in my faith, and so therefore it became less and less a part of my life or even important in my life. <clears throat> As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And I've been that guy. So I started becoming successful in the work that I was doing, and I didn't have time for this because I was traveling all the time, and so I didn't have time to to really be involved in the Word. It was you know, hey, I was interested in becoming wealthy, and the the prevalence of those self help kind of um, do this and you'll get rich sort of stuff is an attractive um, call, and so I, I just neglected 
<clears throat> this for a long period of time because it looked like God was uh, blessing me and, and pushing me into a place where I felt comfortable and confident in who I was and what I was doing. And, and then, as I've told you, the, the guy that I worked with decided it would be a good time to defraud the government, and so that messed my life up pretty significantly for about two or three years. And, and it was during that period of time that I was able to come back to the Lord because he, he cut me off from everything else that, that was important to me. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And so we can see that God does the work of preparing those soils all along. In the Revelation passage, we remember John had seen the Lamb looking like it was slain standing before the throne, and then he took the scroll of judgment from the one seated on the throne, and, and then heaven began to proclaim his worth. He said, Then I looked after that and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. I mean, you imagine the, the, the noise of this and the, the, what he saw, <clears throat> saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, which is exactly the same praise and worship that was ascribed to the one seated on the throne in chapter 4. And now the worship of heaven is directed towards the Lamb. That should tell us everything in the world that the, about the Trinity and the the relationship of God the Father and God the Son bound together in God the Spirit. And so we, we see here that that, that it recognition is that they're one and the same. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and glory and honor and might forever and ever. So this worship that had always only been directed to the throne, to the one seated on the throne, now recognizes Jesus as equally worthy of its worship. Now that could have been the end of everything, right? That could have been the end of, of uh, the angelic beings and all the host of heaven because it could have been blasphemy. But no. In fact, the four living creatures then said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals and i heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder come and i looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer when he opened the second seal i heard the second living creature say come and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So that they have their jobs and their responsibilities, and so this one is sent out to take peace from the world. I don't know how much peace there is in the world. We have the illusion of peace, but we very rarely have the actual reality of peace. It's less stressful today than it was yesterday is not peace. That's a totally different concept. Peace is, is the standing and the confidence in Jesus to know that all is well, because all is under the control of a sovereign God who is both great and good. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and the wine. So, so he, he, it was famine. 
is coming on the land. And, and so the price of everything, inflation was going to skyrocket and everything would be dear. Nothing would be cheap any longer. And so famine was coming on, on the world. There would be uh, caused by droughts and, and other reasons. The crops would fail and therefore famine would come. But the oil and the wine are not harmed. So there's a mercy in that. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And so there's an authority that's given to them, but that authority is circumscribed. They had authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine and pestilence. And so these... these exceed one another, but there's mercy in that God doesn't wipe out everything on the earth as he did with the flood. So, yes, there's judgment, but there's mercy so that those who remain can see God's mercy and his judgment so they can see both his greatness and his goodness in spite of all this. And yet we know what happens in these situations. They turn against him, and they question the one they don't even believe in, and they hate him. When he opened the fifth seal, now there's all four living creatures have already cried out, come, whenever they did, whenever they did. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These are the martyrs. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And so the first four seals had been accompanied by, by uh, horses and riders who were given authority to bring God's judgment on the earth. But that judgment and the purpose of the judgment and the circumscribing of their authority was, was such that th- there were still people who were given an opportunity to see this, to see what's going on, and they could turn and repent just like Nehemiah did because they would, they would see why judgment occurred, and it was because of sin. And so here, though, we get, now we see the human face, the perspective of humanity on what's going on here. Do we want their blood to be avenged, to show and prove forever and ever that what they did was true and right, and they paid the price for it ultimately? But, But then ultimately, who's going to pay the price are those who rejected their witness, those who, who paid no attention and, in fact, put them to death specifically because of their testimony of Jesus. And so now we see, okay, why is this judgment being let loose on the world? Is it, is it just in that way? And, and this puts the human face on judgment and says, yes, this is just because of what the world has done to those who bear the name of Christ those who have put to death not only Christ, but those who, who come in his name. Yes, justice is being done because they heard, but they didn't hear, just like Jesus speaks of. And so they, the martyrs, were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves were. So it, it tells of dark days to come, dark days to come for those who will, who will stand and proudly proclaim and stand in the face of persecution and tribulation like Jesus talked about with the th- ones with the thorns. That No, these are prepared to continue to give witness even unto their death. And he says, there's going to be more of you. 
This number here of martyrs is not complete. Nope. The sin of those who reject my son has to be complete in the same way the sin of the Canaanites had to be complete and and the uh, people of God had to wait 400 years in Egypt for deliverance because God continued to be patient with those in Canaan. But he knew what the outcome was going to be, but they never had an excuse because they had plenty of time to consider their ways and turn and repent like Nehemiah is doing for his uh, the sins of his fathers and the people of Israel in that first lesson today. Let he who has ears hear.